Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. Good morning, guys. Michelle, I'm so excited you're going back to Brisbane. There may be a big event happening in Brisbane soon. I'll leave you with that. Um, it's a privilege to be with you guys. I'm excited. Some of you slept in, praise God. Um, I wish I could have been you, but some of us were serving the Lord early this morning. Um, I'll flex on myself for a second. Um, all that to say, it's a privilege to be with you. I'm super excited this morning. I've had an amazing team of um, 11 students as well as two of the co-leaders come with me from America. It's been a privilege to serve our nation. Um, I grew up, I was born in Zimbabwe, grew up in Eisner. I know, a tough place to grow up. Um, so it's a privilege to be back with you, and I've loved watching the team fall in love with our country, um, and it's given me a new perspective for this country, and it's been amazing. I told them before we came, yes, we will give on this trip, but I guarantee you will receive more than you give. Um, because South Africa is a very sh- a rich nation, we have a lot of heritage, and the church is sincerely in love with the Lord and on fire here. So we didn't come as an answer, we came to point people to the answer, and it's been amazing to watch God move since we've been here. We were doing a crusade up in Quantengezi, which is in the valley near uh, Hillcrest, that's been powerful, as well as serving churches um, like this one. We had a powerful time with the youth, here, some of the youth on Friday night, God showed up, um, It was one of those services where it was almost, you were the outlier if you didn't encounter the Lord, which I haven't been in one of those services for a long time, I'll be honest. We did an altar call, and it was like, did anyone not come forward? Um, So it was beautiful to see how God moved during that time. Before I invite one of our our second-year students up to share what he has in his heart, I just saw a picture during worship this morning, and I saw the picture of Peter stepping out of the boat. So many of us know the story. He's afraid. He's in the storm. Um, he's worried, even though Jesus sent him into the storm, which is an interesting uh, piece of scripture that sometimes we think if we come to God, we won't have storms or issues. And we almost promise the world, like, come to Jesus, your issues will go away. That is not um, a biblical perspective. But the beautiful thing is in the midst of storms, we have a rock. Amen. So even though the storms come, we don't have to be afraid because Jesus is taking a nap in the boat with us or he's coming to us in the boat. So while he's walking, Peter begins to step out of the boat and he is doing fine. He's walking above the waves until a moment where he takes his eyes off of Jesus and puts them on the storm that he was once on top of. And I saw there was people in the room today that maybe there's been moments in the last few years where you've taken your eyes off of him and put them on the waves and the waves that you were once walking on, you're now trying to swim in. And I feel that God is restoring hope this morning to people, that God has not done in your life. He's not done in Durban. He's not done in in Schlange. And I sense that God is restoring hope to people today, that it's not about the storm is so big, but it's about lifting our eyes back onto Jesus. Because if we lose hope, it's not because hope is lost, it's because we've lost perspective. I can sincerely tell you, God is not done with this nation. You are in the right place. God is not done with your life. South Africa is poised perfectly for a revival. We have a very strong church. Um, I get to travel the world. I don't say that lightly. South African Christians are on fire. We have a godly nation. And um, let's take our eyes off of the waves and put them on him. Amen. So that's, that's for free. Amen. 
Amen. I felt that prophetically this morning. So before I get into my word, I want to invite Brother Ronnie up. Come up here, Brother Ronnie. Um, I say Brother Ronnie because Ronnie was preaching at a crusade the other night, and he got up and he was, he was going to say something in Zulu, but he forgot the Zulu words. So he got up at the crusade and he went, hello guys, I'm Brother Ronnie, and I'm from America, and it brought me a lot of joy. Um, but Ronnie crushed it. He's, he's one of our second-year students at Kingdom Movement School of Supernatural Ministry. And I just want him to open up his heart. He's, all of this team paid a price to come and serve our nation. I just want him to release whatever he has on his heart into this congregation. Is that okay? Can you guys welcome up Ronnie? Thank you, Dylan. I first want to start by honoring uh, Harvest Church. Such an honor being here, being in this country. I personally have never been outside of America. This is my first time and on a missions trip. So for me, this is amazing. Uh, seeing God move here, seeing God move through me, seeing how God is growing me personally and what he's doing in this nation. For all the seeds that he is watering in this nation and the harvest that he is preparing and has already prepared in this nation. I want to start with a story from my childhood. I was like six or seven years old. And I remember I was at my parents' friend's house, and we were in the master bedroom, and we were playing on the bed. And the bed was pretty big. I mean, it's this that perfect height right here. Um, so imagine as a little kid, I would need to, like, run up and grab on, kind of mountain climb up on there. And we were playing. It's really bouncy bed, me and my friend. And in between the mattress and the bed frame, there's actually a space um, and that space was really dangerous because my foot got stuck in it, and I fell over, and I fell on the ground. So if you can imagine, I'm inclined, my foot is here, my hands are here, I'm fully locked out with my elbow, and it is extreme pain. I'm like, my leg is about to snap, go call my parents. They, uh, my friends run to my uh, parents, they call the parents, and as I'm waiting, I'm, I'm beginning to tear up, I'm crying. And I feel this really strong hand just grab my ankle, rip it out of the bed, and drop it. And when I looked around, no one was there. Now, I grew up in a Christian household, um, very conservative household. So for me, I knew the Lord as God, somewhere far up there, somewhere far away. I didn't know him as father. I didn't know him as a relational God, someone that can be with me, near me, and before me at all times. So... Uh, the scripture that came to my mind when I was uh, thinking about this story is in Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will also help you. I will also uphold you with my righteous right hand. You can see why that really resonated. The right hand, just ripping out. And the title of my sermon is, God is Always There. Before, before going into my sermon, I would like to uh, go into prayer real quick. Thank you, God, that you're always there. Even when I didn't know you, Lord, even, that, even when I didn't know your presence, even though I didn't know Holy Spirit is always in me, within me, God, you're always there, Lord. And I pray that that same presence, that same love may be felt in this room, Lord, throughout the week, God. I thank you, Jesus. For the ears that hear, Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit and what you are doing inside our hearts today, God. I call upon your presence, Lord. Amen. So I'd like to start out with a question. 
was there a time where you questioned where God was in your situation? So a specific situation in my life was about my teen years, 17, 18, 19 years old. Uh, my life was like this, by the way, with the Lord. I'd go with the Lord, then I'd go down back into the world, go into, with the Lord, go back down. So at this time, plus keep in mind, I'm in a conservative church where uh, speaking to God as questioning, hey, where are you, God? Hey, why aren't you this? Why aren't you that? Is a big no-no. So that never came to my mind until this point in my life where I was really down. I could not read scripture. Now, in this moment in my life, I am with God, but I am having these perverse dreams, sexual and moral thoughts, and I'm struggling not to watch pornography. And I'm trying to read his scripture, but I can't. I keep falling asleep. I tried wearing rubber bands, slapping my wrist, twisting my nipple, doing a plant. I'm literally like this, reading the Bible, and I'd fall asleep. So I got frustrated, as you can imagine, because why can't I read your word, Lord? Why can't I eat of your bread? Why, why this? I keep praying to you, but it's, there's no answer. You're not doing anything. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to follow you if I don't know this? So I questioned his goodness. I questioned where he is. And short, short, long story short, I got to a point where I was like, you know what? This is spiritual. This is beyond my physical. There are spiritual demons, and I believe that God is greater than them. So I went to my friend. We prayed. I got deliverance. Amen. And then after that, I began a journey of finding my identity in who I am and who the Lord is in me. And I discovered him as father and that he's a relational God. So for me, that was really special coming from the church that I came from because everything was very mundane. So I'd like to read some scripture where it talks about that terminology, us as children, sonship, and him as a father. Uh, first one being in Jeremiah three nineteen. Then I said, how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of the nations. And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn away from following me. Galatians three twenty six, For you all for you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are being led by the scripture of God, Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and fathers, sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So it would be appropriate to change my title to Abba is always there. Um, I'd like to finish off by just asking if you felt the Holy Spirit 
And I don't want anyone to go digging because I, I do know if you go dig in your past when the Holy Spirit doesn't have an unction on it, where you don't have peace on it, um, you might bring up some things that are not too well. But if you had an unction from the Holy Spirit, if any memory came to your mind uh, of your past of questioning where he was in that moment, I would like you to think about it and pray with it, uh, pray about it throughout this week, throughout this day. And I pray that the Lord God, Father, may reveal where he was in that moment. Amen. Brother Ronnie, great word. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, bro. You communicated that so well. That was powerful. And if that really resonated with you at the end, please come and um, find Ronnie. He would happily pray for as many of you that, that like prayer. Um, okay, we're going to get into the word for this morning. Um, I know when he said sermon, some of you got afraid. You were like, wait, what? Yeah, you're getting two. That was the sermonette, as we like to say. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, if you don't mind. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to restart my reading in verse 14. It, it will be on the Sky Bible if you don't have your own Bible with you. If, I, if you hear a few American words, it's a mistake. Forgive me. I've had to work on my accent. Some Americans don't understand South African accents. Sometimes there's a few words you have to switch up. Like when they asked me what I do, and I said pastor, they were like, in a pollster? So I've had to switch to I'm a pastor. Um, there's certain words like, can I have some ranch? What? Can I have ranch? I'll have some ranch, please. Um, so I'm, I'm working on it. Don't encourage me. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so if you hear it slip out, it is a mistake. Before we get to Matthew 5, I just want to honor this church. As my colorblind friend used to say, the grass doesn't get much oranger than this. Um, I do sincerely. Um, that wasn't a good time to say a joke, I'll be honest. Sometimes you ruin a moment with a joke, but that is a serious, um, that is a serious, sometimes I'm preaching and someone's like, bro, you should be a comedian. I'm like, that was not the goal. That was, I'm trying to preach the gospel, um, but why not combine them? How many of you know in his presence is the fullness of joy? I would almost argue if there's not joy, he's not there. Because if in his presence is the full, people are like, how can you laugh in his presence? It's reverent. It's irreverent to not laugh in his presence. If in his presence is the fullness of joy, how can there be no joy if he's there? People are like, how dare you laugh? I'm like, you not laughing means you haven't encountered his presence. Because when he comes, joy comes. Um, good word, Dylan. Um, that was for, but I wanted to honor this church. God is doing something special in this church. I sincerely believe that. I want to honor your leaders. Um, Pastor George, thank you so much for having us. It's a privilege. This week, I got sick on Monday. I lost my voice completely and we had a leaders meeting planned. And I texted Pastor George and said, hey, I'm sick. I, I can't speak. I literally couldn't really speak. And I said, um, would you want the team to still come or do you want to cancel? And he said, send the team. And I'm so thankful for your trust because I hear it was a powerful night. And even I saw on my team transformed lives from that night. So thank you so much for trusting me and the team, what God's doing. I love you guys. And thank you for having us. It's a privilege to be with you. So if you're in Matthew 5, that's enough of the pleasantries. Matthew 5, verse 14 although I meant every word that I said. Okay, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor So you are the light of the world. This is Jesus speaking. You are the light of the world. Not he is light of the world. You. Interesting words. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. 
and it gives light to all are in the house. There's no point in covering a lamp. The whole, a light, the whole point of it is to give light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So how is God glorified? Through your life. Through your works. So the way that God receives glory is through your life. Let's take a moment and pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you that you are in this room, that you are so present, that you are not a far God or a distant God, but you are near. You are in the room today to meet us where we are. God, I pray that you would do whatever you want to do this morning. I feel God is doing multiple things in different people's lives. We can sometimes not multitask, but God can. And I see God meeting people wherever they are this morning, whatever their need, whatever their needs are, whatever their breakthrough is, God is near to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you, have you ever gone to a party and felt really out of place? Anybody been there? That's, I'm an introvert. Surprise, some of you didn't know that because you like, you, you like speaking. I like speaking here, but like afterwards, I'm like, I will love you, but I'm like, can't wait to get to the hotel room. Um, anyone, there's some amens. We should be friends. Somebody's even giving God praise. We need to be friends. Um, I don't understand extroverts. Sometimes the best part of my day is when the elevator door opens and I get to go to my hotel room, even though I love you. So, so parties sometimes are hard. So a few, a few um, years ago, I got invited to this party. My friend was releasing a book and uh, at the party, there was a lot of people with influence, well-known people. Some people that like one reality show, people were on idols. There was like Christians, non-Christians, some of my best friends were there who like loved the Lord dearly, so I went with them. But it was kind of a unique environment. We're on this rooftop overlooking this beautiful city and we're hanging out and I made the mistake of posting something on Instagram from the party and at that point, I still didn't realize that people share their um, opinions and thoughts whether you ask for it or not, uh, which I guess, <laughs> I guess that's the generation we live in. Um, and maybe it's my fault for posting it. That's why I don't post much anymore because it's opening up for um, opinions and I don't love hearing everyone's opinions. Um, yes, so opinions start flooding in. I, I think nothing of it, but suddenly people are like, you have a Jezebel spirit influencing you. And I'm like, wow. I love like prophetic words that are based on perception. You know what I mean? Before you saw the story, there was no Jezebel. My other question is, how did Jezebel become a demon? That's the one thing that confuses me about scripture. How bad do you have to be? But that's a side note. Um, so so <laughs> some of you caught that. I genuinely, I'm like trying to get the, the theology, like how bad do you have to be to become a demon? How does it work? You're like, yeah, either way, that's not a point. That's something I'm working through in my secret place. So, so <laughs> somebody said amen. Amen. It's a good word. It's a good word. Thank you, Lord. Um, so, these people start flooding in, they're like, you compromising, you're around non-believers. Firstly, everyone in my story on Instagram is a believer. <laughs> everyone that I post on the thing is a believer. You're around non-believers, what's happened to you? You've become like the world. So, okay, firstly, everyone's a Christian, so people's assumptions are inaccurate, number one. Let's say for a second their assumptions are accurate. Wouldn't you praise God that a pastor was at that party? That's the thing that's confusing to me. I'm like, wouldn't you want me to be there? Wouldn't you want me to be around people that need an encounter with God's love? Like, isn't that where I'm called to be? Like, we've made, we've made it like 
for me, because I grew up in the church, like many of us, like we have these rules that we place that aren't really in scripture, but we start to say them, right? Like if you become friends with non-believers, you're compromising. Or like if you watch certain movies, it's sin, where it's like maybe it's wisdom, but where did we draw the line that it's sin? You know what I'm saying? Like there's wisdom involved. Maybe you shouldn't watch this or listen to this, but we've come up with these hard rules, which are actually really difficult to meet with scripture. Does that make sense? I'm okay with wisdom, but calling something sin that is not called sin is a very interesting place to be because it's subjective what could be wisdom. So people are like, you and sin. So I begin to ask myself, what I begin to resignate actually with the life of Jesus. And I started to think like, what would people have been saying about Jesus's life? For instance, with the story of Zacchaeus, I don't want to read it right now for the sake of time, but think about Zacchaeus, like Jesus is rolling into town. Like if we knew that the God of the universe was rolling into town today, I could imagine that the leaders of the day probably put all the local apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors on the front row, right? So like God's coming into town. We must get the best that we have in their suits and in their robes and we just put them in the front. And God, like if he was rolling into church, most likely he would want to go to lunch with me and George. Or George and I, sorry. For the grammar Nazis in the room. George and I. I know some of you teachers in the room. Anybody in the room? Anyone? Okay. George and I. I'm like, hello, Jesus. I was the one I was preaching this morning. You actually showed up. Your spirit came. People got touched. I think it's you and me going to lunch. We would think like that. But you know what Jesus does? He overlooks all of you. He looks at somebody in the back and goes, the criminal up in the tree. I want to come not to lunch. I don't want to talk to you. I'm coming to your house. He invites himself over. One of my biggest pet peeves, honestly. There's two things Jesus does in scripture that annoy me. He lingers. When Lazarus dies, it says Jesus lingered. That frustrates me. And the fact he invites himself over. But the idea is this. Jesus doesn't go to the one that we think he would go to. He goes to the one that we think he wouldn't go to. And what would we say today if the man of God was spending time with the criminal? Oh, he's stealing from the church. Oh, the man of God, he's stealing. He's around that man. He's in compromise. Or the woman at the well slept with five men on number six. Oh, Jesus must be in adultery. Why is he speaking to her? We see this right throughout scripture. See, we've made holiness being separate from the world. If holiness was separation from the world, Jesus was not holy. If holiness, I'm, not, I'm saying it's not, but if holiness is separating yourself from the world, Jesus was not holy. See, we have to begin to shift our mindsets, what is holiness and what is not holiness, because here's the idea. If you are called to be the light of the world, a light that is in the light is pointless. So it's like, we've had this mindset of like, well, I hear it, brother, and people are so sincere. Their heart is beautiful. Brother, I need to leave my job. I'm the only Christian. Some of us have thought it in the room. That's why we laugh. It's so difficult. I'm like, praise God that you're there. Imagine if you left. Then there would be no light at all. See, the very purpose of you and I is to illuminate the darkness. A light is made with the purpose of being in the darkness. It's the very purpose. 
So I came to encourage us today. We don't need to leave the darkness to go and find light somewhere else. We need to actually seek darkness. My sermon title for this morning is Destined for Darkness. You are destined for darkness. You are called to be a light in the darkness. You are not called to run from the darkness. You are called to seek it. Now, I understand the context for some of us of like, I understand like, okay, but what if somebody just gets saved? Yes, there's wisdom for coming out of the world for a time. But even Moses, even though he grows up in the palace, there's a time he goes and meets the burning bush, but he doesn't stay there. He goes back and he sets a nation free. So my point is, yes, come out for a time, but you can't come out forever because you call to go back. So many of you in this room are placed in the palace for a purpose, like Joseph, in the palace for a purpose, like Esther, in the palace for a purpose, Moses, in the palace for a purpose. We need believers that are in influential positions. Because I can't reach the politicians of South Africa, but we can. I can't reach the next generation, but the teachers in the room can. You in different spheres of society that I will never be able to reach, but you've been placed there with a purpose. No matter what sphere of society you're in, you are not there by mistake. Your neighborhoods, your friends, your suburbs, wherever you go to work, it's not a mistake. You are placed there on purpose. You're in your position on purpose. So yes, we can come out for a time, but we have to go back. A ship in the ocean is not an issue. Ocean in the ship is an issue. I'll say it again. A ship in the ocean is not an issue. Ocean in the ship is an issue. So the thing is, we like, there's ocean in my ship. I have to go back to, I'm like, okay, that's an issue with the ship. Let's work on the ship. Let's strengthen ourselves in the Lord. But we can't stay in the harbor for the rest of our lives. If we go to sea and it starts to affect us, Okay, let's go back to the Lord. Let's strengthen ourselves. But a ship is not made to stay in the harbor. And we've become so afraid of the ocean or the sea, but that's what we were called for. That's our purpose. See, Jesus says we need to be in the world, but not of it. But that then implies you have to be in the world. See, Jesus was in the world, but the world was not in him. That is holiness. When the world is not in you. So there's two tensions to today that we are called to be in the world, but we have to then be a light in the world. And one of my favorite things about Moses is the story when he goes up the mountain. Here's why. If you've grown up in church, you're probably very well aware that you can learn how to sound very spiritual. You, we can be honest. You can learn how to sound spiritual. Like, how are you? Oh, God is good. No, I asked how you were. I never questioned if God's doing okay. Like, I know God's good. How are you? Are oh, blessed and highly favored. Okay, so we're doing that. <laughs> so we aren't going to be vulnerable right now. We're going to declare. I'm okay with declaring, but we can, my point is, you understand what I'm saying? We can sound spiritual at times, which is great. And not all of that's bad, but my point is you can convince people through your vernacular that you are close to God. Some of you are like, oh, I don't know. You can, I promise. Moses comes down from this 40-day encounter with God, and he doesn't come down trying to impress people with his words. People come to him, they're like, Moses, I don't know if you realize, your face is shining. 
your face is shining, Moses. Can we, can we cover it or something? You see, because he actually met with God. Like, what you behold, you become. So he didn't have to convince people he was a light. He was transformed. See, you can learn the words of Christianity, but you cannot learn a transformed countenance from somebody else. You either know him or we don't. And it's certainly not subjective. Like there's fruit to knowing him. People are like, you can't judge me. You can't judge my Christian walk. I'm like, where did that come from? Like if I come up to an apple tree and it's not producing apples in apple season, I can very much judge the tree. That's not a good apple tree. Like how dare you judge me? you call to produce fruit. If we aren't producing fruit, it's not subjective. You can't judge my walk with God's unique. It's like, it is unique, but if you aren't producing fruit, it's not a healthy tree. We can absolutely judge somebody else in love. The Bible actually tells us to. Okay, that was a side note. But the idea, Moses comes down and he's shining with his glory. Number one, he doesn't stay on top of the mountain because people need his light. He comes back down the mountain. And some of us, the temptation with meeting with God is to not come back down. Now, of course, that's somewhat a metaphor because we don't have to go up the mountain anymore. We can just go to our room. But the idea is that the people around us need an encounter with him. And one of the wildest verses to me, which my prayer this morning is that I would invite you into a journey that I'm on. Can we do that? And my prayer is that a few hungry people in this room would catch it, if not the whole room. But this is an invitation for you and I, and I pray that hearts would be open this morning for this word to fall on hungry hearts. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9 says this. No, that's not the right verse for right now. That would have been brutal. Okay. <laughs> we'll save that verse for later. That was not hitting right now. Okay. Um, second, you'll see why, because it speaks about adulteresses and adulterers. It's just fine. Would have been a terrible verse. Okay. 2 Corinthians 3 9. I'll make it spiritual again really quick. I pray that open, I'm kidding, open hearts this morning. Here's the verse for us. Are you ready? How will the ministry of the Spirit not be much more glorious? Speaking about Moses' encounter, this is the word to us now. So if Moses came down shining, transformed, Paul says this, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. What a crazy, bizarre invitation. Where it's like, if Moses experienced that, that's nothing compared to what you have access to. That's why I'm praying this would fall on hungry hearts this morning. On people that go, God, I'm not, I'm not moving on from this topic until I experience not what Moses experienced, but much more. That's the cry of my heart right now. God, I will not leave the secret place until I see you because when I see you, I see me rightly. I begin to shine. We need Christians that are shining. If you aren't meeting with God in the secret place, you're missing out on the best part of Christianity. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm like, hey, you doing the action without relationship, that sucks. I've been there. The good news is you get to actually encounter God. If Christianity is boring, it's not God's fault. We need believers that pay a price to meet with God. And I'm not saying no one's doing it, but I'm saying, can you come on this journey with me? 
I believe this will be a church and a people that people look at you in the grocery store and they go, what's different about, why are you shining? Have you ever met someone that you know they know God? You can see it in their countenance. Let us be a people that people come in. And yes, we preach the gospel and do that. Oh, I'm not saying we don't do that. One of my least favorite statements is preach the gospel and use words where necessary. Because Jesus said preach the gospel, he meant words in that verse. But it's both, amen? So we preach it, but let's also shine. When the world comes into contact with you, do they want what you have? A really good question that I ask myself. One of the greatest gifts I have right now is I've gotten to do life. How do you know someone does CrossFit? They tell you. So I, I've gotten, I got plugged into a CrossFit gym recently, and it's been one of the greatest gifts of my life because it's so refreshing to be around non-believers because that's what we called for. So I get around them. I love the questions because some of us have to be more proactive than others about being around non-believers. I have to be very proactive because I'm, I'm literally at a church. I'm on staff. I'm traveling. I'm preaching. Some of you are around non-believers all the time. Amazing. Keep it up. That's what we need. But if you aren't, you have to be really proactive. So I start to get plugged in at the gym and it brought me so much joy because unfortunately us as believers, we've become known for giving diagnosis, for giving prescriptions without a diagnosis. I'll explain what I'm saying. We preach, but we have no idea the people we're trying to reach. So it's like, abortion is wrong. And I've never met someone that had an abortion that's asking me if it's right or wrong. They are asking, how do I deal with the pain that I'm going through? So I'm not saying I think it's right, but I'm saying we've missed the prescription because we aren't in touch with the diagnosis. So getting to do life with people, the questions they ask changed how I communicate. I've never once been asked at, at my gym what my end times eschatology is. Yet we will spend hours arguing about it. And I'm not against those things, but it's what's really important. What is the world really seeking from us? You know what I get asked? Why do people mumble in church on Sunday? That's a real question. I'm like, oh, that's speaking in tongues. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, he wants to speak through you. It's his prayer language through you. Or I'll never forget this. One of the guys that's in my, in my Bible study every week in my house was raised Catholic. He's a dear friend of mine. Now, I remember early on at the gym when he found out I, I was a pastor, he came up. He's like, you're a pastor, right? Yes. So you never watch pornography? I'm like, no. Like, I got set free. He goes, that's tough. Yeah, sometimes it's tough. Like, I get tempted. He goes, okay. Like, walks away. I'm like, and he was saying it kind of loud so people could hear. I was like, that's, that's awesome. Great chat, bro. Great chat. But um, these are the questions people are asking that they're curious about. Now, now, for the first nine months of going to the gym, nobody came to church, which is totally fine because they're watching our lives. And it's not just our words. It's like, are you showing up on time? Are you remembering the conversations that you had with them? Are we asking questions? You can learn the practical tools of love. We can learn how to love people. It's more than just words or feeling inside. We have to compare motivation with practical tools. When we ask questions, we remember the answers. These small things go a long way. After nine months of going to the gym, nobody's coming to church. I'm preaching on a Sunday, and in the second row, there's 10 people from the gym. And now many of them have got plugged into our church. And it's been beautiful to watch God move. And 
Some of them are at my house every Thursday at a Bible study. One was raised Jehovah's Witness, one was raised Catholic. And it's such a joy to study the scripture with them, to hear the questions that, they answer, that they're asking. But that's what we all call to. We all call to actually make disciples. We all call to actually be in the world but not of it, to be taking people on this journey. And it's actually a great blessing. So some of us have to be very proactive about making that decision to be in the world but not of it. Because God is moving in South Africa, but he's moving through you and I. He's doing something here, but he's not doing it. Sometimes we think God just moves sovereignly. He sovereignly gave us a free will, and he sovereignly chose to partner with us. So we're like, God, do what you did at Asbury Revival. You've heard about that revival? The beautiful thing about Asbury Revival is the communicator at the end of his sermon said, some of you in this room just need to linger in God's love until you feel his love. Now, the news is everybody could have left. But three or four or five, six people, a few, not a lot, decide to stay and linger in God's love. So they made a choice to partner with what God was doing. Because of that, thousands and thousands of people encountered God's love, 400 hours of prayer or whatever it is. But it's people choosing to partner with what God's doing. So my invitation is if we've lost hope for our city or our workplace or our nation, it's because we've lost perspective of what God's doing. During worship this morning, God's showing me things he wants to do in South Africa. And I was like, okay, I'm going to share it. He's like, don't share it. Because we all need to see it for ourselves. We all need perspective for what God is doing here. He is moving. Bill Johnson always says this. If you watch the news more than you spend time with God, your anxiety is self-inflicted. Right? If you watch the news more than you spend time with God, your anxiety is self-inflicted because you are choosing to focus on the waves and be confused when we're drowning. God has not given up. He's not saying evacuate, pull the plug, leave. It's like, no, South Africa is primed for a move of his spirit. <laughs> South Africa is primed for a move of his spirit. Christina can come up. I sensed this morning an invitation to seek his face to begin to shine like he shined, but to remind ourselves that we are destined for darkness, that we are not called to hide away from the world. I even get concerned at times how parents, I'm not a parent, but what I hear, we almost raise our kids to be afraid of the world. Parents, raise your kids to know that who they have inside of them is bigger than who is in the world. We need kids that are turning primary schools upside down turning high schools upside down. Make sure that the way we are raising our kids is to be excited to change darkness into light. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. This time it's the right time. I want to remind us too that in the church, we've made a divide between the sacred and the secular, but Jesus never made that divide. We've called some positions and work jobs sacred. I don't know if you use that language, but it's like a pastor or somebody that works um, at an orphanage. Okay, that's godly, but a teacher's not godly. Jesus never made that divide. That's not a divide in the kingdom. Was Jesus a godly carpenter or a worldly carpenter? Make sense? We've made this, these divides. Some of us discredit ourselves. No, your job and your role is just as important as mine. Whatever you're doing is just as important. There's no more or less important. 
even if you're a stay-at-home dad or mom, it's just as important because God has called you to do that. If you break the shame off that your role is less important, we need every believer to stand up. The scripture says every joint supplies. Everybody in this room is a vital part of what God is doing. So this verse here, I wrote to you in my epistle to keep company, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. So you go, okay, that contradicts what you're saying. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or the covetous extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. So he's implying that they were in the world. He's implying that they were already there. He's like, don't keep company with sexually immoral people that are named to be a brother. But if they aren't a brother, keep company with them. And then the last part of verse 10, since then you would need to go out of the world. So he's implying that they were already in the world. What is the world? A fallen system. So my challenge today is some of us need to be very intentional with going back into the world. You've had your time to get the world out of you, but we've almost got too comfortable there. Amen? Is that speaking to some people today? We've got too comfortable. It's almost like the woman at the well, like we've set up our tents at the well when Samaria is waiting for us. Moses, we set up our tent at the burning bush. Israel's waiting for us. We need to go back. We need to start stepping out. Our societies need us. And yes, everyone might say they're Christian in South Africa, but that's not true. Why do I say that? Because just because somebody, your next door neighbor says they're Christian, we have to discern, do they actually have a relationship with God? Are they actually plugged into church? And you'd be surprised when you invite people to church, people are very hungry and willing to go to church. I promise you, you step out, you'll be surprised. You're like, speak to your neighbor, your cashier, the person that makes you coffee that you see every day, your colleague. Hey, do you want to come to church with me on Sunday? It's a lot more simple than we realize. And if we can all do that, that's how we'll see our nation begin to be changed. Let's, let's stand up right now. The worship team can come up. The ministry team can come up to the front too. The team can come up front. I just want us to pray right now. Can we close our eyes? Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. I just keep hearing this. What, what the prophets of the old cried out for, we have access to which is his presence. What only the high priest could experience in the tabernacle, or what only Moses could experience and everyone else longed for, you have access to. What people cried out for for years, to encounter God's presence tangibly, but only the priest could go in, you have access to. You have access to the God of the universe. He wants to meet with you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to host him. He wants you to see him. And as you see him, you will see you rightly. God, we ask for hunger today. We ask for hunger to seek your face, to be with you. God, we ask for grace to go back into the world. We repent for staying out of the world, God, for keeping our light to ourselves. Some of us have put a basket over our light. God is not upset at you. He's not angry at you. He looks at you with love and mercy this morning. He just says to you, please take your basket off because people need to see your light. His desire is for kids to come home. And the way we do that is by taking our basket off so that he may be glorified. So God, we repent for that today, for putting a basket over our light.
God, we ask that you would help us go back into the world, open doors, grace, favor, connections. I sense people in the room have even been afraid to go like into politics or influential places. I release divine favor over you, that you are called to the palace as it were. You are called to those influential places of your society. You do not have to be afraid. God is going with you. I sense over the church, if God is for you, who can be against you? If, if the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you, what do you have to be afraid of? God, we choose this morning. I feel like there's another invitation to lift our eyes back to Him. If you're in the room and you know you've lost hope for yourself, for your neighborhood, for this province or nation, God is just saying to you, hey, look at me. Look at me. The storm may be raging in your personal life with your family, but look at me. Just lift your eyes back to Him to this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit.